Hi, Bridgewater. We're coming off a year in which we got to watch God work in incredible ways. 2023 brought so many opportunities to get involved in what God was doing, and we were able to capitalize on so many of them. If you want to rehearse some of what we watched God do in 2023, you can check out that message at bridgewater.church messages. One thing is clear coming off of 2023, and that is that God has given us so many blessings and entrusted us with so many resources. Let me zoom in and name a few of the blessings and resources he's given us this past year. We saw 91 people respond to the gospel message and make the decision to trust Jesus as forgiver and leader. We got to baptize 117 people, and we got to hear their stories of how God changed their lives. He's allowed us to invest in and influence 1,281 individual kids who attended Bridgewater Church in 2023. He's given us financial resources. We finished the year on target financially, and God's people at Bridgewater brought in over $2.6 million. We even saw over $300,000 given in Vision 2023 offerings. He's allowed us to have an impact on so many people. We averaged 1,898 people in attendance last year. On top of that, many of you took your next steps of faith and grew in your relationship with God. Now, allow me to zoom out and talk about the big picture things God has entrusted to us. He has uniquely positioned us to be a blessing to those in need both here and around the world. He's given us influence in our communities and beyond, and we've been entrusted with the most important message in the world. Though we are great sinners, Jesus is a great Savior. It is this truth that changes lives and this truth that fuels our growth to become more like Jesus. But what do we do with all those blessings and resources? How should we respond to all of it? Just celebrate and enjoy it? Relish the fact that God has changed our lives, come together in weekend services to celebrate God rescuing us from sin, and then meet in small groups during the week to learn more about his word? Yeah, maybe. But is there more? Is there something more we should be doing? In other words, what should we do with all that we've been given? To answer that question, I want you to consider this $100 bill. Financial expert Dave Ramsey says that $100 a month invested from age 25 to 65 becomes $1,176,000. Now, some would argue based on interest rates and investment types that the more realistic amount is like $650,000. But the point is, when you invest it, it grows. What you have, you invest. If it's not invested, it will never be anything more than what it is. And at Bridgewater, we're not interested in just holding on to the $100. We want it to become more than it is because that's the kind of wisdom and work that Jesus is looking for in his followers. Now, our mission is clear, making more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. But I wanna talk about our vision, the vision of what we want to see happen as we invest the resources God has given us. So I wanna look at some words Jesus said. And while there are a number of things Jesus said that motivate us, this year, the words Jesus speaks in Matthew 25 are ringing in our ears. Here's what he said in Matthew 25, 29. To those who use well what they're given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now, last week, we concluded our final countdown series, looking at what it takes to live ready for Jesus' return. And here in Matthew 25, in a parable designed to help his followers be ready for his return, Jesus makes an interesting point. 
he uses the illustration of a man who had three servants. The man gives five talents to his first servant, two talents to the next, and one talent to the third. Now the first two servants saw a 100% return on their investment. The third servant didn't invest his talent, but buried it and had no chance of seeing it grow. The man ultimately took this talent away from him and gave it to the one who would invest it. The point is simply that being ready for Jesus' return involves more than playing it safe and simply holding on to what you've been given. It demands the kind of investment that produces results. And this pleases God. You see, 85% of churches in the United States of America that believe in Jesus and preach his word are declining. It means they're not reaching people and we do not want to find ourselves in that number. Just in 2019 alone, 4,500 Protestant churches in North America closed their doors for good, while only 3,000 Protestant churches were started. That's a deficit of 1,500 churches. So this is why we think God is not done with us yet. In light of all he's blessed us with and entrusted to us, we expect to see a great return on our investment. We refuse to bury what we've been given in the sand, and we desire to invest in people's lives. And if we do, we believe we'll see evidence of that investment growing in specific areas. And I want to share with you what we're asking God to do with the investment we're making this year. This is the kind of return we're praying God gives us. Let me show you our goals for 2024 and invite you to join us in pursuing them. First, we're asking God to use us to save 100 people. This means we're faithfully committing to share the gospel of Jesus personally and through our ministries and weekend services. We're also praying uh, that we'd be effective at coming alongside you to better equip you to share Jesus with the people you know. I'm urging you to consider how you can become more involved in sharing the gospel of Jesus with people. Second, we want to see 125 people take the next step of baptism. This means we're going to be urging people to take this next step after trusting in Jesus as their forgiver and leader. Wouldn't you want the privilege of having the kind of spiritual influence on someone's life where they choose you to be the one who helps them take that next step? Or maybe you've trusted in Jesus as your forgiver and leader, but haven't yet taken this step to be baptized. This is your year. Third, we want to grow in generosity and see our general fund giving increase by 10%. We think you're missing out on being a part of what God is doing through Bridgewater if you haven't yet joined us in giving back to God. God has been so generous towards us, so this is what we do. This also means that your church leadership is committed to directing the funds to meaningful and worthwhile endeavors that make a difference in people's lives. How can you take a next step in trusting God with your finances this year? Every contribution you make makes you a part of all God may do. And we don't decide what God accomplishes with what we give. We just decide what we give. And in light of all God has done for us, we're excited to trust him with our finances. Fourth, we want to see weekend service attendance increase by 15%. Did you know that over the last decade, our church has grown by 14.8% each year? And last year alone, we grew by 18.3%. This means you are doing the work of praying, investing, and inviting. That is praying for, investing in, and inviting the people you know to join you in coming to Bridgewater. We love to partner with you in helping you reach the people you know. We've worked to make our services accessible and relevant as we strive to communicate God's word clearly and accurately. But we only reach this goal if every one of us is a minister where we live every day. 
So we wanna help you grow where you're planted. We wanna come alongside you, helping you more effectively reach the people in your world, workplace, and community. This means we're gonna double down on helping you invite people to join us in coming to Bridgewater services, small groups, and events. If God is working here, why wouldn't we want the people we know to experience it and be a part of it? So we're gonna prior prioritize serving our communities and coming together for worship. Remember that every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story matters to God. Okay, last ones here, and, and they're tied together. We're asking God to help us multiply people who serve within Bridgewater, growing our volunteer base by 100 people. And along with that, we're asking God to multiply our reach by launching another service, gathering, or campus. This means we're working to develop more volunteers for roles in the church, to see a new community reach, to influence a new school district, to see more lives changed. Did you know that since the launching uh, back on October 22nd, we have seen four people trust in Jesus as their forgiver and leader in our Hancock community gathering? You see, we have a vision beyond the walls of our current facilities and beyond the boundaries of our communities. We think Jesus was serious when he said, to whom much is given, much will be required. So in light of all the people and material resources he has given us, there are investments to make. And again, we're talking about vision, a vision for people in your life who don't know Jesus to become followers of Jesus, a vision for those in your workplace to lean in, to hear what you have to say because you live out your faith in such a winsome and attractive way, a vision to have a vibrant, growing community of faith in communities where it's lacking, a vision to creatively participate in what God is doing in the world. A vision to ask and expect big things of God while we innovate and take risks. A vision to see exponentially more people jumping in to become a part of what God is doing among us by serving, giving, praying, investing, and inviting. The question that remains is, do you want to be a part of that kind of investment? Why not join us? What will all this mean and how will this look at your Bridgewater location? You'll hear next about the specific opportunities that lay ahead for you to join in what God is doing at Bridgewater and how you can make an eternal investment in 2024. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, one of my big takeaways from Josh's talk there is the first person to get to Josh gets the $100 bill. So, uh, you know, you guys, you, you, he wants to give it away, right? That's what it seemed like. You might want to hurry because the first service already knows that. So, uh, there you go. No, actually, there, there was something in, in what Josh had to say that stood out to me. He made a statement. He said that being ready for the return of Jesus involves more than simply playing it safe. Being ready for the return of Jesus involves more than simply playing it safe. Let's let that sink in for a minute. How many times have we seen athletic teams get up with a big lead and then start to play it safe, and before you know it, the other team, because they had changed their defense or, or whatever and they were, they were playing it safe, the other team claws back into the game and eventually they lose. Why? Because they played it safe. We've seen this in business as well. I wonder, do any of you know what this place is? 
Anybody ever, ever seen this place? Some of you don't know what this is because it doesn't even exist anymore. But when I was growing up, like this was the place. You could go and you could rent, uh, I don't even know what, what are they called, for VCRs where there's like cassette, VHS, yeah. You could go and get VHS movies and take them home and watch them. It was a, it was, it was a weird you know, time. You could get DVDs you know, and, and watch them. You didn't simply push a button on your TV and all of a sudden something came up. You had to go here and rent them, and you could rent them for a day or a couple of days or rack up huge you know, late fees or whatever it is. And Blockbuster today doesn't even exist. Why? Because they played it safe and they refused to change. They're not the only ones. I'd heard a story recently of uh, a very talented and smart group of people who led a record label. The record label is called EMI Recording. You may have never heard of EMI Recording, but you've certainly heard of one of their, their biggest labels. Anybody know who this is? It's just a little band. You may have never heard of them. They're called Queen. They've had a few songs here and there, you know. And the story that I heard was that when Freddie Mercury, front man for, for Queen, and, and, and Queen came together and wrote the song Bohemian Rhapsody. Anybody ever, ever heard of it? This is, this is from the movie that came out recently, but it, it's kind of uh, showing what they did in the original uh, music video. When this song was written, Freddie Mercury had a vision for this to be a single and for it to be on the radio. He thought this was going to be a huge hit. So he went to EMI Records and he said, hey, this needs to be a frontline song. We want this on the radio. We want this on MTV. We want this everywhere you can. And you know what EMI Records, the, the, the leader of EMI Records said? He said, no way. Anthem music is dead. No one will listen to a seven-minute song. Nobody wants to listen to this. And to date, <laughs> this is quite possibly one of the most famous songs ever written. And guess what Queen did? They picked it up and took it to another record label. Why? Because EMI played it safe. People who play it safe miss out. I, I have always personally been inspired by people who refuse to play it safe. People who say, you know what, there's a great need, there's, there's a great opportunity, and I want to do something about it. And one of the people... One of the stories of a person who refused to play it safe shows up actually in the Bible, and it's a story of a man named Nehemiah. Nehemiah's story is accounted for us in the Old Testament. It shows up in a time where things were really, really dark in the world, and there was an incredible need. You see, this was a time when countries would, would go and invade other countries and destroy those countries and then pick up and kind of steal the best and the brightest from that particular area and take them back to where they were from and, and basically force them to do all kinds of stuff for them. And that was happening in Nehemiah's day. In 586 BC, the Babylonians invaded Judah and destroyed Judea and, and destroyed Jerusalem, and they picked up the best and brightest from Jerusalem, and they took them back to Babylon or present-day Iraq. 
And for 70 years, for 70 years, Israel lay destroyed. The people were strewn about between Israel and Babylon. And the best and the brightest from Israel were working for the Babylonians and then the Media Persians and then the Assyrians because, listen, if you live by the sword, what happens? You die by the sword. Nehemiah comes at the end of this particular story. See, God had told the Israelites they would be in captivity for 70 years, and when the end of the 70 years came, God moved miraculously and sent people back to Jerusalem to go and rebuild Jerusalem, and that's the intersection of Nehemiah's story. In Nehemiah chapter 1, we find this out uh, about what's happening in those days. It says, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Now, here's one of the things I love about the Bible. The Bible is historically verifiable. We know there was a King Artaxerxes. You ever, you ever heard of the movie 300 or ever seen the movie 300? The king, the, the, the king that these guys were battling was King Xerxes. That's this guy. And Nehemiah is there in his fortress. Verse 2 tells us this, that Nehemiah had some visitors. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some of the other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. See, Nehemiah was one of the ones who, who didn't go back to Jerusalem. He had a job in the, Assyrian, uh, in the Assyrian government. He stayed there, and a lot of people went back. And now all of a sudden, his brother's coming, and he wants to know. He cares. He wants to know about what's happening back home. Notice in verse 3 what's going on. It's in verse 3 that we find out that there was a great need. It says this. They said to me, things are not going well. For those who return to the province of Judah, they're in great trouble and disgrace. Why? Because the wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. In other words, no one can live there and be safe. No one can live there and thrive. No one can live there and feel like they can actually do what they need to do to take care of their families and their homes because there's nothing to protect them. Things are not going well. There was a great need. And it makes me wonder, what should our response be when there is a great need? See, that's the very thing that we learn from Nehemiah. We find an incredible response to a great need. In fact, I think there are four ways that Nehemiah responds that, that show us how we might respond to the need around us. Now, whether you think there's a need or not yet, we'll, we'll get to that, but, but I just want you to see how Nehemiah responds. In, in verse 2, it says this, When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. How does Nehemiah respond when he hears of the great need? The walls are torn down, the gates are burned, things are not going well, no one can thrive. These are people I care about. How does he respond? Nehemiah's first response to a great need was prayer and fasting. 
That's what he did first. Now, if you're anything like me, my first response is usually activity. Let's go. Come on. Let's fix it. Nehemiah spent days praying and fasting. Now, what, what about the need around us? Can I, can I just take a minute and, and tell you about the need around us? Let's just, I, I know we don't all live in Broome County, but let's just talk about Broome County for a minute, okay? Broome County is 716 square miles, so 26, approximately 26 by 26 miles square, okay? Um, it kind of looks like the state of Louisiana inverted, so it's not a, you know, a box, but it's, you know, th- th- that's the size of it. There are approximately 200,000 people, in fact, in the 2022 census, I believe it was 200,800 people who live in Broome County. And the census tells us, like people can kind of self-report and tell us some things about themselves. And one of the things they tell us about is, is their involvement in, in religious activities or churches. And what we find is that in Broome County, 9.4% would say they are involved in evangelistic church or evangelical churches, churches that, that tend to focus on teaching the good news of Jesus, okay? 7.3% are involved in mainline churches. That would be like, like um, uh, Presbyterian or, or Methodist or Lutheran type churches or Episcopalian. And then 246 are involved in Catholic churches, which means there are 82,600 people involved in churches in this county, which means there are 117,400 who are not. That's a lot of people in 26 by 26 miles, just in one county. I mean, that sounds like something that we should pray and fast over. Now, notice what else Nehemiah did. In chapter 2, in verse 1, we find out that there were more actions and activities that took place. In fact, here's where we find out Nehemiah's job. In verse 1, it says this, early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. Do you know what that guy does? He tests the wine, he tests the food to make sure he's not going to croak and die. Kind of a big job, you know? But the text tells us that he stands before Nehemiah on this day, and he didn't look so good. I had never appeared sad in his presence. Verse 2 goes on. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? I mean, imagine this. If your cupbearer is bringing you food and wine, and he's looking sad, or he's looking sickly, or he's looking, you're going to ask questions, right? So he says, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. There must be something wrong. This is months later, and Nehemiah is still wrestling with the great need. I can imagine he took a big gulp. First of all, just to speak to the king. Second of all, to share the great need with the king would have been heavy. Verse 3, then I was terrified. Yep. When there's a great need and you're getting ready to do something, you will be scared. Okay? Then I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. 
He poured out his heart to him. He told him what was going on. And the king responds in a way that I think is really just divinely guided. The king, rather than saying, oh man, that's sad. All right, bring me my food. The king says this, well, how can I help you? Now, do you know what my response would have been? Send the army. Send some people. Take everybody. Get the horses. Get the chariots. Get everything. And let's go and let's rebuild Jerusalem. But that is not how Nehemiah responded. Do you know what he said? <laughs> he said just a couple words. With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it pleased the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me. One man who's a cupbearer, not a mason, not a builder, not a contractor, send me. Send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Nehemiah's first response was prayer and fasting. Nehemiah's second response was volunteering. Here I am. Send me. I love it. Then he goes on. He tells more of the story, and you can read this for yourself, but he, he asks the king for, for help. He says, hey, can I have some, some of the timber, some of the lumber from, from your forest? Yes, you can have that. Can I have some, some of the army to go and just to kind of protect me? He didn't ask them to go and build, but he knew that Israel had enemies, so he knew passing through some of the areas he had to go to get there wasn't going to go easily. So would you send some protection? Yep, I'll send that. Okay, and he went. Then in verse 12, we find him showing up in Jerusalem. So I arrived in Jerusalem three days later. I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans that God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. Boy, if it were me, I would have been like sending out flyers, sending out emails, sending out texts, getting on socials, doing all kinds of stuff. Come on, don't you want to come help? No. Nehemiah went, searched it out, figured out the need first. What needed to happen. In verse 13, it says this, after dark, I went out through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, and over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and the burned gates. And then he describes something that's really interesting to me. In verse 16, we find out that there are some leaders in Jerusalem who knew nothing about what he was doing. The city officials did not know that I had been out there or what I was doing. In fact, some of the other verses tell us that none of the priests or the leaders or the, 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 the religious leaders knew as well. For he had not yet said anything to anyone about his plans. And then, after he inspects the wall, after he inspects the gate, we read this. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in in Jerusalem. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. What is he doing? He pulls the leaders together. He pulls the, 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 the spiritual leaders together, and he invites them to get involved. Okay? His first response, prayer, fasting. Second response, here I am, send me, volunteers. And then his third response is to invite other people. Other people who want the same thing. Other people who want to go in the same direction. He invites them in. 
But every time you try to do something big, what comes next? Opposition. You got to know it. And that was true for Nehemiah too. In verse 18, this is what we read. He's invited all these people. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. And before you know it, I mean, they get started. And before you know it, they got people who are like, nope, we're putting a stop to this. There's some interesting people. Verse 19, but when Sanballat, what kind of a name is that? (laughs) I don't know. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. Guess who these guys are? These guys are leaders in some of the nations around Israel, and they do not want to see Israel thrive again. So they start mocking and throwing accusations at Nehemiah. Look at the accusation. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Oh, you're here doing your own thing. You're rebelling against the king. We're going to tell the king, and he's going to come and squash you. What was Nehemiah's response? There's a great need. There's problems. What was his response? Did he play it safe? Did he slink back in fear? No. Here's his response. I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. Listen, if you don't remember anything else, would you please choose to remember this verse? I don't have any guarantee of what the future will look like for Bridgewater Church or for us or anything like that, but I do know who God is, and I do know that God wants to change lives. The God of heaven will help us succeed. Nehemiah was depending on God. His fourth response was depending on God. Now, here's the thing. Josh, Josh did a great job of laying out what we want to see across all of our campuses and all of our locations, and, and that's wonderful. But I, I, I want to share with you what, what I hope you will pray with me for and even fast over. I want to share with you what I hope you will volunteer alongside me, not, not just you, me, alongside me towards what you will consider inviting other people in. I want to share with you what I believe God could do if we depend on him. Here's what I want to ask you to pray for. In fact, when you came in today, you got a little sheet that that looked like this, and you can pull that out or you can look at it up here, but here are the things that I, I, I think we should be praying for. I think we should pray that God would lead 25 people to trust Christ. Can I just tell you, I've been praying since the beginning of the year that we would see two people each month, at least two people each month, trust Christ. Um, I had a phenomenal thing happen to me last week because the end of the month was, you know, last week. And just last week, I met a, a new family in our church here who shared with me last week that their son trusted Christ just a couple of weeks ago. They just started coming to church here. That would be, not, not didn't happen here, but it happened someplace else, but it's, it's an answer to prayer. Do you understand that? Two people. We had, you know, we were talking earlier about Isaac Ford, who trusted Christ through Voyager. Would you join me in praying that? Praying that we would see each month two people trust Christ. Because I don't ever want us to get over how big of a deal it is that Jesus saves people. 
praying for 25 people to trust Christ. 25 baptisms. Next week, we have at least one, maybe, maybe two baptisms that are going to take place. Um, you know, I know there are more people here that have recently trusted Christ. You know, We had 28 people trust Christ last year. Some people still need to take that step of baptism. I want to see people go public with their faith. Would you pray that with me? Would you pray that we would see continued growth and attendance here at Vestal by 20%? Last year, I never would have guessed we would grow by, by, like that, but God blessed us and used you. We grew by 38.4%. Do you understand that? We, we, had, to, we had to move to, to two services. Now we're praying that God would fill up two services. Not for our glory, not because it does anything for me, but because of 117,400. Do you understand that? 117,400 people who need to know Christ's love, okay? Would you pray that we would grow in our small groups by 15%? We've seen, we had to start five new small groups this last year. It wouldn't surprise me if we have to do that again because when people come in, they need to get in connected with other people who they can pray for and they can have people praying for them and growing in their relationship with Christ, and I'm praying that we would continue to see growth in giving by 10%. I don't think that's really that hard if we grew by 40% last year, honestly, you know. Would you consider praying for that regularly with me? And would you consider volunteering? See, I, as I think about 2024, I, there are some steps that, that I'm planning to commit myself to. I can't make 25 people trust Christ, and neither can you. I can't make anybody do it, and I wouldn't want to. I can't make anybody take next steps. I can't, I can't do any of that. But there are things that I can do that, that will make it easier or might contribute to someone trusting Jesus. I can invite somebody I can share the good news of Jesus with them. I can tell them my story. There are things that I can do that will contribute to it. And so I want to ask you to consider these four commitments that would help move the ball down the court or down the field so that we are able to see God change those numbers in Broome County. See, that's what it's all about. Here, here's the commitments that, that I would ask you to consider. In fact, you'll notice them at, at the bottom of that page. Number one, um, would you consider committing yourself to inviting at least one person a month for the next three months? Would you consider that? I, I'm praying that we would have 40 people who would, con, who would say, yep, I'm going to do that. And if today, if you will simply circle that one, put your name and your email address on there, we are going to give you resources to help. I'm praying that we would see 40 people who'd say, yep, over the next three months, between now and Easter, I'm just going to, I'm going to invite at least one a month. Would you consider doing that? Would you consider committing to sharing the good news of Jesus with at least one person a month for the next three months? Is that hard? Yeah, can be. Could be a family member, could be a co-worker, could be a neighbor, could be a friend. I wonder if you might just consider committing yourself to doing that once a month over the next three months. 
Not, not a full year, just three months. A very short amount of time between now and Easter. I just wonder what would happen if we had 40 people sign up to do that. Would you consider the fact that sometimes we need to learn more about sharing our faith, and so would you consider learning more about investing in and sharing the good news of the gospel with others? We're going to two times over the next year. We're going to provide training. We're going to have some, some ways that you can learn how to share your faith and how to invest in people and invite. If that's you, man, I hope you'd mark that. And then last, would you consider and commit yourself to this, I am ready to start serving. I know that we can't make 25 people trust Christ, but you know what we can do? We can serve and turn this into the best place possible so that when people show up here, God's changing lives. I'm not talking to people who are already serving. I I know many of you are already serving. I'm talking to people who say, no, I haven't been serving yet. Maybe that's my next step. And here's what I want to urge you to do. In fact, I'm going to do it with you. I'm going to, you can see there's a place to write your name, a place for your email. I'm going to put my name, Aaron Patton, and my email, Aaron P at bwater.org. And I am personally committing myself to these first three. I'm already serving in some way, so I am committing myself to these first three. I would urge you, would you consider joining with me because of people like these next people I want to show you. Does anybody know who this is? You ever seen these people before? Some of you may have. Some of you maybe not. These people are involved in our campus. They were here in the first service. This is Ashley and Joe and Blake and Kaden. And a year ago, they didn't know Christ. One year ago. But because Ashley's aunt and her dad was here, because people invited them, they started showing up. Ashley trusted Christ, I think, at the end of February. Joe trusted Christ the weekend after Easter, and Blake and Caden came later. And oh, by the way, there's a sister. Her name's Dawn. And she started coming, and she trusted Christ. Why? Because somebody decided to not play it safe. To me, that's worth it. You know what else is worth it? 117,400. That's a big need. I don't think we can reach them all right here, but you know what I think we can do? We can reach as many as we can, and then we can start another location, and we can reach as many as we can and start another location, and God will start changing lives. Would you join me? I I see the need. I'm volunteering. I'm here. Let's go. Would you go with me? Because I think God can use us. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for Jesus. And I thank you that you love us so much that you sent him for us. But God, I pray that you would use us here to accomplish great things. Not great for our glory, but great 
for your glory and the good of the people that get to experience your grace. God, we love you. I pray that we would pray and fast. I pray that we would volunteer. I pray that we would recruit others. And I pray, God, that we would depend on you. I ask in Jesus' name.